The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, September 26, 2021, on the basis of Mark 9, verses 38 through 50. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Name any movie about the high school years, and you can be pretty certain what you'll get. Lots and lots of stereotypes. You've got the jocks, the dumb boys who love to play sports. You've got the nerds and the geeks, the kids who wear glasses and are kind of awkward, but really good at school. You've got the popular girls, the girls who all dress the same, walk the same, and talk the same. These caricatures are kind of fun to laugh at, but there's a kernel of truth behind them. We like people who are like us. We like to be with people who are like us. I don't know what your high school experience was like, but maybe it went something like this. You found people who were close to you, people who played the same sports as you, who were in the same clubs as you, who had the same interests as you. And you became a group, you became friends. And maybe you made fun of other groups and other kids because they were dumb, because they were too smart, because they were shallow, because they couldn't see the bigger picture of what high school was all about. Some kids were popular and we wanted to be around them, and some kids weren't, so we left them alone. But once we grow up and we join the adult world, things don't really change, do they? We still like to be around those who are like us, people who work the same jobs as us, who have the same political views as us, who are from the same generation as us, who look like us, who have families like us, are married like us. These are your people. They make you comfortable. That's why you like them. But today, Jesus is going to reset our understanding of unity. He asks you to do something that's uncomfortable, to look beyond yourself, your friends, the people that you like, and to consider others who are a part of the family of believers not just the ones that we value and like, but also those who might seem insignificant and small in our eyes. It won't be easy, but Jesus helps us see the bigger picture. The disciples had given up everything to follow Jesus. For the last three years, they had followed him, listening to his teaching, learning at his feet. They had become a tight-knit group, three years together. They were the 12 disciples. But one day, as they were out and about, they saw a man casting out demons in the name of Jesus. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't know this man. He wasn't one of the followers of Jesus that they had met before. And so they tried to stop him. They wanted to protect Jesus' ministry, their ministry. After all, they were the ones who had given up everything to follow him. They had left behind families, friends, careers to follow Jesus. They were the ones that Jesus had given the power to drive out demons and to do miracles. And here was a man who was doing their job. After the incident, John told Jesus what happened. He said, Teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, but he wasn't one of us, so we tried to stop him. But Jesus said, Don't stop him. The disciples must have been confused because Jesus continued. He said, No one who does a miracle in my name can in in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. 
this man was driving out demons in the name of Jesus, he couldn't turn around and badmouth the very name he was using. In fact, he was doing a good thing. He was driving out demons. He was freeing people from the power of the devil. He was fighting the same enemies as the disciples. He was on their side. He was for them, not against them. He was on the same team. But Jesus wanted to make it clear that he wasn't just talking about big things like preaching or driving out demons. He said, Truly I say to you, anyone who gives you a cup of water because you belong to my name will surely not lose his reward. Belonging to Jesus isn't just about preaching or driving out demons. Even the smallest things we do for each other has significance in the eyes of God. Something as small as giving another Christian a cup of water has value. That's because we're all on the same team, something that the disciples failed to see. When we hear this story, it's easy to think it's a bit dramatic. Here the disciples are just not getting it again. They saw a man driving out demons, and so they overreacted. They were quick to judge him as an outsider rather than a teammate. But judgment lives in the human heart. It had a home in the hearts of the disciples, and it has a home in yours, too. Think about it. The people that you like, the people that you spend time with, aren't they people who look like you, who think like you, who have values and politics and beliefs like yours? These are your people. And now, more than ever, aren't we suspicious of people who don't think like us, who sit on the other side of the political aisle, who are different from us, look different, do different jobs, have a different lifestyle, are from another generation? Isn't it easy to think they're naive and foolish, or they're ignorant and stuck in their ways? And quickly, it becomes a game of us and them. You have your people, and I have my people. It's like high school all over again. We bicker and fight, and it goes on in circles. Some people we value, and others we cast aside as insignificant. But when you do that here in the family of believers, you tear at the very fabric of who you are. Because Jesus didn't just die for your people or my people. He died for all people, single, married, young, old, rich, poor, left, and right, for the people that you like and the people that you don't, for the people who are like you and for the people who are nothing like you. He died for all of us, and his death makes you a part of the family. He sees past all the superficial differences, all the labels and classifications you might give yourself, and he sees you for who you are, a broken sinner, a broken sinner forgiven by him. In the next section, Jesus gives us three illustrations to show us just how seriously he takes this unity. In the first picture, he tells us about those who cause children to stumble. We've seen Jesus talk about children before. He said, let the little ones come to me. But here he goes a step further. He says, anyone who causes a child to stumble, it would be better for them to be executed to be killed, to be tied to a giant stone and tossed into the sea. That's how serious it is to cause someone to fall away, to stumble from Jesus. The next picture is of cutting off limbs, arms, and hands. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. 
Jesus isn't advocating for amputation every time your eyes wander or your hands do what they shouldn't. Instead, his point is this, that sin is so serious, it's so dangerous that you would do anything to stop it. If cutting off limbs would stop sin, you would do that. That's how dangerous and serious and poisonous sin really is. The final picture Jesus paints is one of judgment. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. Therefore, be at peace with one another. This final picture is a reminder that judgment is coming. We each must face God on our own. So why are we bickering and fighting among ourselves? Instead, let's live as we are, as family, and be at peace with each other. It's hard to weave all three of these pictures together. What exactly is Jesus getting at? He wants you to see the bigger picture. Follow me for a moment back to high school. It's lunchtime. You're going through the cafeteria line. You get your food and you go and you sit down at a table with your friends at the exact same spots where you have the exact same conversations day after day. All around you, people are doing the same with their own friends, their own groups. Everyone is together, except for one boy. In the corner of the cafeteria, there's one boy who sits alone. No one talks to him, no one waves to him, no one even looks at him. He sits there alone, and he'll sit there alone for the next four years. Follow me to the back of a church. It's the late service. The man sneaks in. He comes alone. He's a bit of a stranger in a church full of families and kids, but he likes the pastor. He likes the preaching. Sometimes he'll even stay for Bible study. But when church is over and everyone is mingling, he sits there with his hands in his pockets, waiting for anyone, someone, to talk to him, to wave at him, to get to know him. But no one does. Maybe we might think, maybe the man could have been a little more social. Maybe he could have smiled or waved or introduced himself. Or maybe someone could have talked to him. No one talks to the boy who sits alone in the cafeteria because it's inconvenient. It would mean being uncomfortable, getting to know him. It would mean stepping off your pedestal to sit with him. What would your friends think? No one talks to the man in the back of the church because no one values him. He's a stranger. He's not worth the discomfort of getting to know him. Instead, it's easier to just let him be, to forget who he is, that here is another family member, another brother or sister, another member of the team, another person on the bus that goes to heaven. How tragic would it be to know that that man stumbled because of his fellow Christians? Because if we're really on the same team, if we're really a part of the same family, if we're all really headed to the same place that is heaven, why wouldn't we stop and make sure everyone else is okay? Instead, we judge and divide. We judge some Christians to be worth our time and others as not worth our time. 
We make value judgments on what we see on the surface. But thankfully, that's not something that Jesus does. Just look at his 12 disciples and his followers. They came from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of life. You had Simon the Zealot, a man who was fiercely opposed to the Roman government, and you had Matthew, a tax collector who would have worked side by side with the Romans. You had some disciples and followers who were wealthy and well-educated, and then you had a man like Simon Peter, a fisherman, uneducated, from the back country. These men were different. They were too different. They would have never come together on their own. But Jesus chose them to be his followers, to be part of his family. He saw past all the differences and the superficial attributes and adjectives. He saw them for who they are, and he sees you for who you are. He sees your true need. He was humiliated and broken and had his very life cut off to save you from the fires of hell. He gave everything for you, and he loved you. He sees you for who you are, a member of the family. And that's how Jesus resets our understanding of unity. He gives you eyes to see each other for who you really are, children of God. We don't fight and bicker and break off into tribes like the world does, arguing about superficial differences and things. Instead, you see each other for who you are. You see each other the way Jesus sees you. As a member of the family that you would do anything and give everything for. When we live as family, it's easy to have peace. Follow me to one last stop. The man stumbles into church. He's shivering. His coat is too thin. His shoes are full of snow. He's not from around here. In fact, he's not even from this country. He's an immigrant from a war-torn nation. He's a Christian, but it's his first time in an American church. And he picked quite the day to be late. It's Christmas Eve. The church is packed. Every single seat is taken. There isn't a spot left. The man nervously and shyly shuffles up the center aisle, looking for a place to sit. Everyone stares at him. Suddenly, an older gentleman springs out of his chair. He grabs the man by the shoulders and steers him into the seat where he had just been sitting. He pats him on the back and shakes his hand, repeating over and over again, Welcome, welcome. So glad you're here. So glad you could make it. The people around him smile and wave. That man won't understand most of the sermon. He won't be able to sing along with the songs. He looks different from everyone else there. He sticks out like a sore thumb but he'll know that he's home, that he's among family. And as the choir sings, he smiles and says to himself, peace. So this is peace. Brothers and sisters in Christ, family is not about where you've come from. It's about where we're going. 
Amen.